Hello everyone, welcome back to the Mega Game Assembly Interview Podcast. I'm Mr. Mega Game, otherwise known as Matt Bambridge, and I'm joined today by our usual man, Harrison. Hello. And uh, Jack McNamee from Brisbane Mega Games. Hello. Excellent. Thanks very much for, for joining us today, Jack. Uh, we're going to be talking primarily about God Emperor and games down down in Australia. So jumping straight into it, Jack, when did you, uh, when did you start Mega Gaming? Uh, well, it's the usual story for me, I think. It was when I saw the Shut Up and Sit Down video on um, Watch the Skies, obviously. Um, a while after that one came out, there was a thread on Board Game Geek, um, uh, just from a couple of people saying, oh man, if only we had this kind of thing in Brisbane. And I kind of latched onto that one and yeah, ended up running it and it's gone from there, really. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, I think that uh, that experience with Watch Skies uh, clip is is the same around the world. Hopefully, as time goes on, people get into the game in uh, other ways, but we probably uh, owe the modern hobby to, to that one. So what's your kind of gaming, gaming background, Jack? Sure. So um, uh, for me, I suppose I always started out with video games more. I, uh, I did a Bachelor of Games Design focusing on video games. Um, and then I guess as I get got more into it, I uh, started focusing more on the tabletop uh, and board game side of things. Um, yeah, uh, I suppose that's really me. I suppose we'll, we'll jump uh, a little bit uh, into, into God Emperor itself. So what was the inspiration to first kind of write uh, God Emperor? And was it that your first attempt at uh, a mega game? No, no. The uh, I, the first attempt, I would say, I, well, I suppose I this isn't obviously um, something that I came up with, but just re-envisioning Watch the Skies uh, a few times was the first uh, getting started, I suppose, of um, uh, getting onto the designing mega game trend uh god emperor was originally the idea of my friend uh melissa hearn who um and it was all the core idea of it was to do a mega game of thrones right something inspired by game of thrones focusing on conflict between different noble houses and um yeah um using a similar concept of watch the skies of having these three uh core areas um, yeah, and uh, having a big bloody betrayal-focused uh, alliances and negotiation-focused battle for the throne. Yeah, okay. And I uh, I had the pleasure to play this uh, game under kind of a different moniker of Heavy Rain uh, in Gen Con, which we'll talk about uh, a little bit later. But it is it is exactly as Jack says, very very Game of Thronesy and uh, a little bit inspired by Watch the Sky. Just kind of going back there, so. What were the kind of changes you were making to, to Watch the Skies? And was the appeal of doing that first, that it was kind of easy to do and it was very available? It was, yeah, yeah. So obviously the first version, um, first mega game, sorry, we ran was a modified version of Watch the Skies. Uh, it was very heavily modified. We uh, wrote a new script where the aliens were refugees, essentially, from a larger conflict and um, needed to find a new home. Each alien had, uh, there were nine alien players and each one had its own uh, personality and history as like the last leader of uh, the remnants of their people. Um, yeah, so a lot of stuff was going on there. Um, I, I suppose it was the reason why I wanted to re-envision it so heavily in a couple of ways um, is just because, uh, first of all, a lot of people had already seen the video, obviously, they already knew the twist. So obviously very important to 
re-envision the aliens there. And second of all, a lot of the core systems, I suppose, I just wanted to delve into and put my own mark on, really. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And did you, what type of changes do you end up making to those to those core systems? Sure. So I suppose all of this has reached its culmination in the mega game I ran most recently, which is called We Are Not Alone. Um, so that one has, is, uh, it is uh, obviously heavily still inspired by Watch the Skies, but with uh, all the systems and story and lore uh, completely re-envisioned from the ground up. Um, back, Going back a wide ways uh, to my first um, tinkering with the system, uh, a couple of key things we changed were really revising the uh, UN to try to give it much more of a direct impact on the game. Um, yeah, and just, I suppose, a lot of tinkering. The, the key things we always tried to do is to give players... Uh, more agency and to respond to the experience that players uh, were telling us that they really wanted out of it. So that's a, an interesting point you make about agency there. So uh, Ben Moores, who's a designer over here, who's done Undeniable Victory and Spanish Road, will always say that uh, choices, 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 basically, is what players should should have during during a game. Is Is that kind of what you mean by agency as well? Oh, 100%. And impact on the game. I think, to me, that is the core design issue with a mega game. That is the thing that I spend the most time thinking about and the most time struggling. Um, When you have a game of 50 players, it is incredibly difficult to make sure that every one of those 50 players uh, can make choices that have a meaningful impact. Because, uh, you know, anything could happen to negate your choices. It could easily happen that Uh, You know, for example, in Watch the Skies, I could try to cause a riot in a particular place because I wanted something to happen. And then the news players could choose to just not report on it and no one knows that it's happened and nothing results from that, right? Um, And, you know, so those kinds of issues are something that I spend a lot of time grappling on in terms of how do I make sure that every player is able to make meaningful choices that have a distinct impact, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. And I think Harrison, we've talked about that quite quite a bit in relation to to games uh, as well. Have you got anything to pop in on that one? No, I was I was just going to ask. Um, have you had that design philosophy from the beginning, or is that something that you've learnt by putting on games and getting feedback from players? Uh, it was absolutely from the beginning. Um, and uh, now I love the Watch the Skies rule set. It is the thing that um, started everything off. But one of the things I did have an issue with in that initial rule set is that um, in the UN section of the rules, in the initial rules, uh, after it explains how the diplomats uh, respond to crises and that they need to um, uh, create specific proposals in order to handle issues in the world, um, after it describes that, there's a little sentence down there for the control players that says, um, you know, it doesn't really matter what they actually decide, just put down the terror track by a certain amount because you won't have time to change the game based on their decisions. So I suppose that sentence is almost the thing that launched um, that core philosophy of going against those ideas, I suppose, if that makes sense. And um, I-, I think Watch the Skies is a very different style of game that it is more narrative focused it is definitely less uh what's the word game mechanic focused than a lot of my designs like god emperor um but yeah i suppose that informs my 
core philosophy. Yeah, that's really cool because um, as as Matt said, it's a conversation we've had many times on podcasts and in person that um, one of the most disappointing things for a mega game is when you, you turn up really excited, really looking forward to it, and then you spend the whole day realizing that you're having basically zero influence on on the game as a whole or you, you have very little to do. Um, and I think it's a bit of a a universal problem across the across the hobby and so to hear that you were able to pick up on that as being such an important point just from just from reading rules never mind you know actually putting on games and having players come to you and say actually i feel like i've had a little bit of a boring day is uh, is very promising to hear thank you yeah i'm glad to hear that thank you very much um yeah and it is and it was a lot of it is based on the experiences that you see players have exactly what you're saying that you can see people have these experiences where they had these grand plans, they wanted to achieve these great goals, and then they just didn't see enough of it have an impact on the game. And that's not because the game is um, poorly designed necessarily, it's because it's such a difficult problem. When you have 50 players, so much stuff is happening, there's so much information going everywhere, it is very easy for choices to get lost and not have the impact that the player wanted them to have. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll wholeheartedly uh, agree with that. Okay, so kind of uh, going on a, a little bit then. So you said the the Aegon Emperor's originally kind of, uh, well, the concept was for someone called Melissa. So that mean do you do design games yourself or do you have a team that you, you work with to help bring things to fruition? Yeah, so we do have a team. Um, so initially with God Emperor specifically, it was me and Melissa uh, working over it a lot. And then she said, oh, listen, I'm not going to be able to spend the time that's necessary to finish this off and bring it to fruition. So I took it over from there, essentially. Um, yeah, and so it is a process normally, and with the latest mega game, We Are Not Alone, it's been a process of writing a Google Doc and then rewriting it and rewriting it and rewriting it, and then getting the team in, getting a lot of feedback, working over it, all that kind of thing. Um, so I do have a great team behind me, 100%. Um, a lot of fantastic uh, people in Brisbane who have uh, put huge amounts into the game. Um, uh, graphic design, um, art, uh, and also just helping to envision key sections of the game. And How many uh, game designers do you have uh, as part of Brisbane Mega Games? Is it just yourself or have you built up a bit of a network now? Well, it's, I, I'm not sure it is, I suppose I'd say it's just me who has been the figurehead of the person who's like, okay, I'm going to draw everyone's, uh, everyone's work together and uh, ensure that it actually goes ahead and that the game is run. Um, but absolutely, there's a, um, a great bunch of game designers who have, uh, for example, with We Are Not Alone, uh, written a huge section of the rules for the alien players. Um, uh, yeah, so I suppose if you're looking for numbers, it's um, uh, maybe, uh, I don't know, half a dozen to a dozen or so um, people who've really been able to come together for each project. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, uh, that's amazing. So how, how large is the, the audience for Mega Games? Uh, it's hard to say. I will say that. So the latest one we ran is um, it had, uh, I believe there were 60 tickets and we ended up selling out in um, under 48 hours. So I think that shows that we do have a good audience for it, but we have never tested it in terms of like how big is the actual audience, you know what I mean? We've never really pushed it to the limit of discovering how far we could take this. Um, so that's something we'll be discovering in the 
years ahead, I think. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one because there are frequent conversations on just how many mega gamers are, are out there. If you put them all in a room, are you going to fill up a 300-player room? Are you going to fill up a 1,000-player room, a couple of thousand? So it's kind of interesting to go exactly for a niche hobby, how many players are there worldwide? Exactly. And so we can tell that there's demand, but how much demand there is, it's, it's very difficult to say because... Um, yeah, we haven't run mega games very often, really. And that's probably part of the reason why people are uh, keen for them at the moment. And it's hard to tell if we decided to expand things and um, uh, run them a lot more often. It's hard to tell when that would start to run out. Yeah. How often have you, you run games? Uh, it's been only once a year at maximum. Um, yeah, Any more than that. I'm, I'm interested in doing maybe twice a year but any more than that would just um be too much for me personally yeah no i've got uh, absolute respect for people like uh, alex beck who run horizon mega games who puts on six a year uh basically by by himself uh, designing and playing and organizing the games and the phenomenal amount of work he goes through so uh, idiots like me can come and play this game is uh, much much appreciated so moving on uh slightly then to a bit more of the kind of inspirations for the game so uh, theming for for the game uh, you said was very much uh, Game of Thrones. Kind of what came first there, the, the theme for it or desire to, to write a game? Uh, the theme definitely came first. Um, it was, yeah, so the, the first steps for the design were to sit down. Um, we obviously wanted to do something that was our own, I suppose, after Watch the Sky, something that was a, something a little different and um, something that we owned. And uh we decided latched onto the Game of Thrones theme, and the first step was to set out the idea of okay, in that theme, what are the core sections that would be the core segments of the game? What do people want from that theme? Um, and so, obviously, the some of the first things we decided is obviously there will be a map component, some kind of political component, and some kind of espionage component. Um, and we threw around a lot of ideas um, in addition to that about. Uh, trade and uh, exploring um, the forgotten ruins of the land, these kinds of aspects to it. Um, but that was the first step is to get those key segments there and then to say, okay, out of a political game in a uh, medieval dark fantasy world, what are the kind of th- interactions that you want to see? What are, th- what are people want out of that thematic experience? And it was from determining those things that went on to determine what the mechanics were. So, um, for the war map, for example, uh, uh, the first thing we, uh, well, one of the first things we decided is that it, uh, I really wanted it to be about alliances and betrayals, much like uh, the board game Diplomacy. Um, I really wanted it to be incredibly simple and I wanted it to be all resolved in uh, simultaneously so that any amount of people could all be at the war map and all of the orders could all be resolved without everyone taking turns. Um, yeah, and with a heavy focus on uh, alliances and negotiation and talking to each other and betraying each other. So that's what uh, ended up determining what the mechanics would be. So it was absolutely theme first. Yeah, okay. So you're talking there about basically trying to figure out what people wanted for their, their Dark Ages fantasy game, but also because it was Game of Thrones. Did that involve kind of going through what you felt the the core aspects of the show were to kind of go, okay, well, what is core to Game of Thrones and out of that? Or was it more you went, right, okay, here's Game of Thrones, I kind of want to do something like that, and then you turned to kind of generic 
Dark Ages fantasy. Oh, no, no. Um, look, I should say at this point that I've never watched Game of Thrones. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, look, I, I did read the, the first two books, um, but it was... Um, it wasn't about emulating the experience of the show. It was about emulating that style of experience. If that, if that makes sense, it's the, uh, the idea of this very volatile, uh, knife fight situation where everything's up for grabs. Uh, everyone's got a plan or a scheme and, um, everyone's at each other's throats fighting over this central vacant throne. That was the core experience and the, and the core idea we wanted to emulate. I wanted to avoid it being too similar to the Game of Thrones. I, I think um, uh, that experience is kind of better served elsewhere, if that makes sense. Um, and I think uh, we did succeed in kind of giving the world of God Emperor a bit of its own flavor that diverges from the show and the books uh, of Game of Thrones a bit, while still evoking that same experience of this, uh, yeah, dark medieval fantasy where... Um, things are falling apart and everyone has to think very carefully and think on their feet. Yeah, no, it very definitely does have its episode feel. Just going back to, to one more thing there, when you said you were considering various concepts going like things like ruins of the land, did those kind of not make it in because you felt that it would detract from the three core themes you have because you have the council game? Did you feel that putting any more in there would detract from there? Or was it that you couldn't quite figure out how to, how to kind of, add those experiences in no no it was just a matter of um time really so the uh let me go into it the uh, initially there were four main areas of the game there was the court underground which is espionage related uh the war map which is uh, obviously um armies and fighting uh, and then there was a uh kind of a religious side of the game that was uh themed around exploration um, so the way it worked is it was kind of a, a mystery solving game. Um, you had a full map of the continent, just like on the war map, but each uh, province, each, each, sorry, little region square of the map had an envelope in it with uh, a bit of lore about that region and what's there and stuff that you would find out if you explored it. Uh, and so the core goal of that area uh, was for people to explore it and um, in order to get answers about the forgotten religion. Um, so just to go back a bit, uh, part of the key, a key part of the lore of God Emperor is that a lot of the history has been uh, erased by the God Emperor, who is a tyrannical ruler. And a lot of the religions and mythology of the world has been forcibly stamped out. So the core focus of this area was um, exploring around and finding little details in order to solve this central mystery of, you know, what were these religions and what, did they actually focus on? Um, yeah, so we. Um, I was very, very keen on this. Um, I, uh, but at the end of the day, the key issues were number one. I was worried that it wouldn't be very replayable because, um, uh, you know, at the end of the day, if you explore one region and it has stuff written on it, it's going to be written on it again. So, you know, maybe. Uh, it would be easy for people to spoil these mysteries and just go, oh, well, if you do this and do that, you can um, find the answers there. Uh, and number two, it was just a lot of work to implement. Um, so it's it's something, it's an idea I'd really love to uh, get back. And actually we did end up putting a very similar concept into We Are Not Alone. Um, but yeah, it's just ended up being 
unfeasible, I suppose. No, it's interesting to see the the kind of things that end up on the on the cutting room floor, but so to speak. But I'm glad that came back for We Are Not Alone. And just for people wondering, we will be having Jack back on to talk about We Are Not Alone uh, at some stage <laughs> because it's uh, coming up a lot. So he it, it, it will he will be back uh, to talk about talk about that. Glad to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> So in in terms of mechanics, where did those kind of come from? What were the inspirations for for the mechanics? Were they kind of entirely homebrew from video games, board games, Watch the Skies? Sure. So um, uh, the first step, I suppose, that we started with with uh, getting mechanics together, just to go back slightly, sorry, uh, is we started out and I just played a bunch of uh, board games and tried to see if those mechanics could fit in. Uh, a lot of um, very simple party games that involved a lot of players just to get my head around uh, designing a game for so many people, you know, because, um, you know, nine or more people are going to be coming to this war map every single turn. I needed to get my head around how do you design for that many people so that things aren't slow and don't grind to a halt and that the mechanics don't fall apart when that many people start pushing, putting pressure. Um, so that was the first step. Um, it ended up that the um, the war game is heavily inspired by diplomacy uh, with some twists in it. The underground and the spy, which is the spy espionage aspect to the game, is heavily influenced by the card game Android Netrunner, um, which is not, which is absolutely not a nine player party game. It's a very different type of game. But uh, yeah, that's the inspiration there. And the Court was mostly, it was inspired by the UN Watch the Skies and partly also inspired by the political phase in the board game Twilight Imperium. Um, But it was really kind of a mix of that stuff and kind of its own beast, I suppose. Um, Yeah, that was the, sorry, I I may have forgotten the question. Does that answer? (laughs) No, that that definitely kind of answers the the question of where those came from. And and to be honest, you probably named three of my favourite games there. Uh, (laughs) Diplomacy, uh, definitely. uh, One of my my favourite games. It's a a very elegant, well, yeah, fairly elegant uh, attempt at combat resolution that kind of means that you have to work with other uh, people who haven't played Diplomacy or indeed uh, God Emperor. You, you've got tokens, essentially. Their strength is, is basically one for each of these. And while all uh, the factions can gain more, there is a limit to the amount you can gain. So it can be very symmetric. So to get things over the fence, you very quite often need to work with, with other people. And that's a very nice thing where the combat mechanics are instantly drawing you into diplomacy, which is the point of the game. Uh, you can't really just run roughshod over people yourself. And that showed in God Emperor as well. Factions needed to work together to 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 take over areas. When you we use the phrase uh, elegant to describe diplomacy, I thought you were going to follow it up with an elegant way to destroy friendships because that's been my experience <laughs> watching people play <laughs> diplomacy. But there we go. Um, I'm... I am fascinated to know how you turned Android Netrunner into a nine-person game. Uh, so um, let me let me start from the beginning there. Um, in Android Netrunner, um, the key uh, mechanic of the game is that you have two players. Uh, one of them plays a corporation, and one of them plays a runner, which is a hacker. It's a near-future setting where the runner needs to infiltrate the corporation in order to steal all their secrets. While meanwhile, uh, the corporation gets points if they manage to um, 
advance those secrets until they act. Um, so I was really interested in that core mechanic um, and using it to uh, add a bit more of a mechanical bent to the uh, espionage game that I've I'd previously added to Watch the Skies. And I think a, a lot of people have probably used a similar mechanic where it's just um, if you want to do something... Uh, actually, sorry, I, sh- I misspoke. This is... Uh, this central mechanic is in the original Watch the Skies, but I twisted it around a bit. But essentially, in order to um, use spy actions in Watch the Skies, you say what you want to do, and there is a simple die roll to see if you do it. Um, so the idea that I had is that um, you would write, instead of having this simple die roll, you would write down this espionage action that you wanted to do, whether that's assassinating someone or poisoning someone or whatever, um, you would place that face down and then you can defend it with cards. Just by placing cards in front of it, you defend it. Um, all the other players around the table can spend cards in order to try to get through your face down defenses and discover what your plan is. And if possible, they can foil it. Um, so the big things that are taken from Android Netrunner there is that uh, so you can write down what your scheme is. It could be something that you really want to complete, like, um, you know, poisoning someone, or you could write down that it's actually a fake decoy. It's actually a, a complete trap. So you write it down, place it face down. Someone's like, oh, no, this looks actually pretty dangerous. So I better go in there and see what it is. You reveal it. They've fallen into the trap. They've, uh, they lose a bunch of stuff. Um, that's, I suppose, the the core mechanic of the game. And uh, it works because it is very simplified from Android Netrunner. Um, uh, yeah, uh, and it also uh, is split into different regions. So you can only perform espionage actions against people who are in the same basic area as you. So it never actually turns into a full nine-player game. Yeah, that's fascinating because um, <clears throat> both both Matt and I have played in a game um, that was heavily inspired by Netrunner, the aforementioned Alec Beck's uh, Horizon Mega Game, Game of Mirror Shades, which is literally, you know, it's it's kind of like Netrunner, the the Mega Game. It's it's corporations being hacked by runners and hackers and everything, and that it very much uses that kind of a mechanic. But to to take that idea of schemes and you know, well programs and traps and everything, and then move it to a fantasy setting, I think is is really interesting. But I think could really work. I think that's that's a really a really nice little design. Yeah, I'm glad you think so. Thank you. I found that um, I was worried about the underground because it is perhaps uh, one of the more complicated sections. Uh, but I found that the people who liked the underground and wanted to go to the underground really loved the underground because there was a lot of stuff you could really dig into there. And um, it, it, so it's essentially it's like a very simple net runner where you are both the corporation and the hacker. And um, you have this hand of cards, which you can use to either defend your own schemes or attack other people's schemes. And then um, by building stuff on the war map, you can unlock better and better cards to add to your personal deck to use. So it has a bit of a deck building element. There's a lot of customization and stuff you can do. So for the people who really liked that style of thing, it was really great. And uh, yeah. Yeah, it was interesting part of the game, but I... I suppose what I would say is that from the experience uh, playing the Every Rain version, there there was a bit where when players hadn't been regularly going there, 
when they then went there later in the game, it, they did find it a little bit confusing. But that leads me basically into the next thing I want to talk about, which is this idea as people as a resource. I haven't really seen it in in a main game before, but for for God Emperor, essentially you can get more actions out of an area of the game by sending more more people there. If you want more votes in council, you send more people there. You want to move more armies around, you send more people to and and so on and so forth. So where where did that come from? Sure, it um it came from for me personally, it came from playing Watch the Skies and feeling a bit constrained. I know maybe that's not the typical experience of Watch the Skies, but it felt like I only ever get to see the war map, for example, and there's so much else going on. There's this huge, big sandbox of a world happening, and I I just never get to see it. I don't even know what's happening there. I don't know what it is. And the idea that I could just go around and visit and say, oh, you know what? I want to go to the council, and I want to, see, I want to go to the UN. I want to see what's happening there and experience that bit of the game. That seemed really fun to me. And um, adding in the idea that there's actually a strategic element to it of going like, all right, listen, we really need to get this vote through. So we're going to mob the council and we're going to have a whole bunch of votes that we can use to really push something through. That seemed like it would add just a really nice strategic layer on top of the games itself. Um, There is one other Omega game I know of that does use this mechanic, which is... Uh, the World Turned Upside Down by Ironmark Games, um, which is an American revolutionary game. Um, <clears throat> uh, it did have kind of, it's kind of an instance of parallel evolution, I think. The games kind of came out at the same time. I hadn't seen it before I developed it. Um, but yeah, I think it's a really interesting and fascinating mechanic. I do agree with you that one of the downsides to it uh, is that it can lead to issues where um, it does ask more of the players, I suppose. Um, if you uh, want to take full advantage of this mechanic and really outmaneuver your opponents and um, uh, decide to do these big moves where uh, you switch over to using the underground when they didn't expect it, which means that you can get a huge scheme through, things like that, um, it is going to be a bit more complicated and it is going to ask more of you in terms of rules knowledge. And uh, now I did uh, listen to the podcast you guys um, ran after the the Gen Con run of, of Heavy Rain, and I understand for that one, is it true that they weren't able to send the rules through before the game? Yeah, so that was that was an issue they had uh, basically where. As a, as a player who'd signed up for things, you then needed this extra step to send your detail to them to, to receive rules. So I think I managed to receive rules for most things, but I know some of the other people I, I went with, uh, so uh, kind of Rory and Nice, they didn't always get them. And some players turned up with seeing rules for the first time. So then it's a, it's a lot to absorb. Uh, in the first 15, 20 minutes. I completely agree. It's very true. Um, so that is the downside I see. It. Um, yeah, so to me, the upside of it is that it really um, allows this whole new level of strategy, which really can feel like outmaneuvering your opponents. Like, you can have these moments, which I saw in the game, where, um, you know, for example, someone's just sent one person to defend their castle on the war map, and then someone else rocks up with five people suddenly and they're like, oh my God, oh no, we, we've completely left our defenses down and now we're going to get destroyed. You know, it, it allows you to pull off those moments where you go, all right, we know that the players are 
going to completely ignore the underground this turn. So if we kind of swing over there, we can really push something through that will have an amazing impact for us. And um, <clears throat> so it allows those those ideas of like, uh, I suppose, a cut and thrust idea of figuring out where your opponents aren't going to be and then going to that place and kind of having those moments. Now, in order to experience those moments, I suppose it does require... Uh, a bit more investment than another mega game where you are only ever going to be in one place the whole game. Um, I think I had less of, I experienced less of issues of people uh, not knowing the rules in my run, I think perhaps because of the audience, but it is a, it is something you need to consider, I guess, if you want to run God Emperor is that um, that's the trade-off. It does allow you a lot of really cool moments. It allows these big, things where five people suddenly flood the court and everyone's like, oh my God, what, what are they planning? What's even happening? Um, but at the expense of a little more rules knowledge from the player. Yeah, I think it sounds like a really, <clears throat> again, another really interesting um, piece of rules or mechanics, whatever you want to say. Um, I think we've uh, one thing that springs to mind for me is you can often play a game like Watch the Skies where you are, say for example, the military player for a, for a country and every turn you go to the military map and throughout the entire day your country does nothing militarily you know you're maybe you're busy in the un or you're doing a lot politically or you're talking to the aliens and watch the skies or whatever but for whatever reason you don't ever really do anything with your army on the map which effectively means that one player isn't going to do anything and it's impossible to know ahead of time that for example china isn't actually going to do anything with their military player or america's not going to have much of an impact in the un or anything like that so having the flexibility to change where you send players every turn i think could really help with that and then the extra layer like you say of having a strategic thing of right this turn we're really going to push hard for political play or we're really going to push hard for for operations play i think that's a really interesting um extra layer of strategy and planning to the game which i think again is, is is really cool yeah definitely and that is actually one of the the key reasons i was so excited by the mechanic is i wanted um uh teams to be able to say, you know, they go into the game saying, uh, we're going to be all about espionage, we're going to be a little about politics, and, you know, war, we're just not interested. That's not what we're about. And to be able to uh, really specialize and have those that that element of role playing that, that this is what your house is, if you do not want, if, you know, if none of you are interested in the war map style of game, if none of you are interested in that kind of um, battle-focused gameplay, you don't have to experience it. You can just focus on the um, spy and diplomacy uh, elements of the game. Um, yeah, so I really like that idea. Um, yeah, I um, I think if um, any... What I would do if I was going to run the game again, potentially, is consider having uh, a system where each player gets uh, two areas of the game explained to them at the start or early on, at least. And those are the two areas they can go to. That, that's one potential solution I've kind of been mulling over. I think it is a difficult problem. I'd be interested um, to have Ironmark Games on here and, and see how they tackled it. But yeah, yeah, it is a bit of an interesting trade-off. Yeah, that that is a really interesting piece of mechanics for Scott Emperor, and I would like to, to see it again. So kind of moving on, on slightly. So... 
In terms of when you were designing and running the game, were there any stumbling blocks or problems that came up? And if so, how did you uh, how did you get past those? Sure, the the game ran um, very smoothly, uh, which was um, it was a funny experience for me actually because I'd uh, experienced the you know I'd I'd been experienced running uh, Watch the Skies in my the first time I'd ever run a mega game. And feeling very important and very amazing that I get to stride through the room. Everyone has these constant fires that are happening, which I constantly have to tackle. And I'm the only one who knows the rules. So I have to like, I'm the only one that everyone comes to. And, you know, it's a very power fantasy feeling. With God Emperor, I was just like, oh, you guys need any help there? And they'd be like, no, we got it, mate. I was like, oh, good, good. that's great. All right. So it was mostly fine. The 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 one issue we did run into is with the favor cards. Um we found, uh, so just to cover the mechanics of this, um, in God Emperor, you can amass two main resources. There is power, uh, which is kind of like victory points. Um, if the throne is empty, the person with the most power gets to take the throne. And you can aff- uh, and you can also get favor cards. Favor cards let you do cool things. And if you get a set of five of the same type, you get to do an even cooler thing. Uh, you make a building which lets you unlock a special ability. Um, so when we went into it, I expected everyone to get power as like, that's the, that's what they want because that's what gets you the throne, right? That's like, that's why we're all here. That's the focus of the game. But actually everyone focused entirely on the cards. Like they would just throw away power and just every time they could get a card, they would instead of getting any of these actual tokens. So the result of that is that we, completely ran out of favor cards we had to we had to scrap a lot of the things that that gave you favor cards in that first run and uh the other result of it is that people really just stockpiled these favor cards and then used them all at once in this big last turn madness where all of these cards are just suddenly explode like as many as they could play they played in the last turn so it was interesting. Um, it, yeah, I, I suppose that's the biggest thing that went not according to plan. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, but the things being saved up for those big bangs rather than small incremental games, I would say, is is a major feature of a lot of a lot of games. So, did you do much uh, playtesting for for God Emperor? And how many times have you run it? We did a ton of playtesting. Um, so the game was designed to be easy to playtest, and the core way we did that is that the map is modular. Um, We kind of tried to conceal this in the final design of the map, but if you really look at it, you see that it's made of three main regions, and each of those regions has three noble house teams in it, and each of those regions is mechanically basically identical. Um, So when you're playtesting the game, you can just playtest a single region with three noble houses, and each of those noble houses can just have one player. So you can playtest the game with just three people. and kind of um, model that out to the rest of the game. So with the war map, that's what we did. We just um, did a lot of testing over one specific basin. And uh, the way we did it is uh, it would mostly just be three of us. And then if another person arrived, we'd get them in and go, okay, great. Now you're the second person of this particular house who's arrived um, and did a lot of testing of it that way. Same for the underground. Um, yeah, basically the same for the court. The court is the was the most difficult to play test, but it was the most role play heavy. Um, so yeah, that was a less of a problem, I think. Um, so we did that a lot. There was a, just a lot of times playing the 
uh, underground game against a lot of different people, um, all of that kind of thing. Uh, and we only ended, ended up uh, actually uh, running God Emperor once. Um, I just haven't been able to get the time aside to run it again, um, I suppose. And also just I was, you know, I think I've been, I, I think this may be something that other mega game designers can relate to as I was just like, oh, well, that was great. That's done. But I've got this other idea I really want to do. And I just, you know, moved on to the next next good thing. Yeah, that, that that's definitely something uh, I, I do hear from from designers. Next project, uh, next project. I don't think there, there are many that specifically try and run games uh, a lot of times. I think uh, John Meisen uh, and Jim Warman are probably, probably the only two that really do. So... <clears throat> Moving on a little bit, I do want to come back to a couple of areas of the mechanics. How did the game end up being run at Gen Con? Sure. So the game is uh, publicly available at uh, on Drive Through RPG for thirty bucks, and uh, yeah, Texas Mega Games um, bought the game and ran it. They they sent me a couple of emails asking for various questions and um, picked it up from there, but. Uh, yeah, it was a pretty simple process. I wasn't involved at all, really, apart from answering uh, a couple of questions they had. Right. Okay. That that's interesting because uh, a lot of the other times when games get run other places, there's quite a lot of uh, kind of work and negotiation between between designers. But I suppose it's uh, up there publicly, so it's uh, easier to get hold of. Yeah, for sure. And that's one of the things I kind of wanted to do. I wanted it to be, you know, if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, that you can easily just run God Emperor. And that is one of the things I'm really happy about, about the design and about the rule set um, we released, is I, I think it is one of the easier games to run out there and one of the most comprehensive, I suppose. Um, so I'm really happy about that. It's one of the easier games to get a hold of. Not as easy, of course, as um, a lot of the free games out there. Um, Aegean's Conquest is, is a fantastic one. Um, but yeah, I've got a lot of good feedback about how easy it is to get together from a control perspective. So that's something I'm pretty happy with. I was going to ask, um, when it was being run at Gen Con, was that a proud moment for you? Were you thinking, oh, fantastic, my game's being run by a whole bunch of people who are probably brand new to mega games? Or was it actually a bit of a nerve wracking experience thinking, oh my God, my game's being run by a whole bunch of people who are new to mega games? Oh no, it was a very proud moment. Very, very proud. I, I was so happy about that. I, I think anyone would be, um, yeah, it's awesome. It's uh, it's just really great um, to see people enjoying your game. And it's such a compliment that uh, God Emperor was the one they decided to go through it. Um, I, I think the, um, the, the email they sent to me said, you know, we've run several mega games and God Emperor has been by far the most internally coherent one. So we're glad to bring it to Gen Con. That was their word. So um, look, that's high praise. Uh, and... Um, anything that gets the, the game in front of more people is uh, something that I'm really happy to see. Yeah, fantastic. I, th- I think you should be proud, just so we're clear. Uh, I, but I think something I'd written had been run and on that kind of a scale, I think I'd probably be at home racking my fingers, being a bit nervous about what was going to happen. But I, no, I think you I think you absolutely should be proud. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's great. <laughs> so the last two bits of the mechanics uh, I want to kind of cover off because we've done favor power the underground we we've touched on that on the war map is the council and the the god emperor could you walk us through those two sure absolutely um so one of the core elements of the game is that the the titular god emperor is an npc um uh, so the story of the game again is that um the god emperor has 
perhaps ruled for thousands of years, at least so he says. And uh, now his power is waning and the throne is beginning to um, become empty and everyone's starting to sharpen the knives and get ready to take power. For- um, so the God Emperor is an NPC who roams around the game and um, runs the court. And uh, the core mechanic of the court is that you can submit rule uh, laws and proposals to the God Emperor. The God Emperor will choose one of those to put before the rest of the council and everyone will vote on whether it goes in or not. And if it goes in, then that is a change which fundamentally alters how the game works from that point. Uh, So very simple from a mechanics perspective, but it does have a good amount of impact on the rest of the game. And really the core part of it that that most people seem to really enjoy is just interacting with the God Emperor. I think um, this experience of... uh, having this person who you're all, everyone is cozying up to and flattering and going like, yes, so of course, well, what an incredible idea. So I'm, I'm so happy to, wow, that no one else could have thought of that. And then you go back home to your team and you're like, okay, how can we kill him? Like, I think that's something that people really enjoy. And in terms of the council, uh, again, you can send multiple people there. Everyone gets two power per person attending and you can spend that power on, on votes that come up. Yes, that's right. That's right. So um, you can, um, one of the things I guess I'll mention is that um, it, the game was designed so that there are kind of three main ways to win from each of the three sections of the game. You can try a political coup where everyone votes you in through the council, essentially. Um, you can try to assassinate um, the person on the throne um, using the espionage uh, part of the game. And you can do a military coup, which is that um, the actual location that the court is convening rotates around the map. Um, So the place where that court is, that section of the game where everyone's voting through laws, is physically on the map and it can be attacked. So if you can success, it is defended, but if you can successfully do that, then midway through the turn, you have this moment where someone suddenly bursts into the court holding a sword and goes, all right, that's it. I own this now and sits down in the throne. Um, that's one of the, that's one of my favorite moments in the uh, game that we ran. Um, but yeah, apart from that, it is a thing where the more people you send, the more votes you will be able to um, apply. So it's something about judging things carefully and going, all right, we really need this one to go through and we think everyone else is probably not going to be at the court, so there will be much less votes against us. So now this is the moment when all four of us suddenly storm in, uh, all five of us uh, suddenly storm in and, and cast the vote and and force something through that maybe no one else wanted to happen. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's uh, kind of all, all the way through the mechanics. Harrison, any questions from you? No, no. I, I, I'm sad that I missed the game, uh, and I hope that it gets run somewhere near me soon. <laughs> Cool. Okay, dokie. So uh, what's next for you, Joe? Sure. So um, the next uh, design I'm working on at the moment is called Tooth and Claw. It's a mega game inspired by the board game Root, um, which if you've never played it, is a a red wall kind of experience where various anthropomorphic uh, creatures uh, battling it out in a forest, uh, all that kind of thing. Um, Excited to get into that one. And uh, yeah, that'd be the next one. Uh, probably that's run for Brisbane Mega Games. Uh, apart from that, um, we are talking a bunch with um, Sydney Mega Games, Patrick Doyle, and uh, other people uh, about running some of their games, um, like For the Crown, and uh, also having them run uh, We Are Not Alone and God Emperor. So um, 
TBD. But yeah, that's the next steps for us. Excellent. So does uh, that talking with, with Patrick, who's obviously also been on the podcast, is that kind of Australian mega games coming a bit closer together in the the style of the mega game coalition? That's the plan, um, and I'm excited to see it uh, come into action. So. Um, yeah, so in terms of mega games, uh, me, Patrick, and um, uh, the Melbourne mega games crew, uh, Tristan, Cliff, and uh, Nelly Seal, have been talking a bunch online and trying to get stuff together. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to try to get more of a, uh, a group thing like a mega game coalition together. We do have a decent amount of mega games happening in Australia. Um, there's uh, our team in, in Brisbane. There's Melbourne Mega Games, which just started. Sydney Mega Games, which is Patrick Doyle. Um, there's uh, Pulp Mega Games in Geelong. Sunshine Coast Mega Games, and I know um, Eli Wintercross just posted on Mega Game Assembly, talking about starting up Mega Games in Western Australia. So um, you know, there's a lot of stuff happening, and I- I'm hoping that we can start creating a lot more of a community. You know, running each other's games. Uh, one of the things we are planning to do, uh, which is coming together now is uh after each australian mega game we're planning to do a post-mortem debrief uh podcast i'm kind of just running through how that game worked and what we can kind of take out of it to use in the future it's something i don't think uh, many people will necessarily be interested in listening to but just for us personally getting everyone to get all these designers together in a in a digital room to chat out okay what were the cool parts of this design what can we use what lessons do we need to take from in future yeah i'm really excited to see that start uh start the ball rolling yeah i'll be uh very excited to to listen uh to listen to that so uh we've we've come to the end so anything else you want to mention sure so i'll just say um uh you can find the rules for god emperor on uh ashtowngames.com uh that's if you follow the links it'll take you through to where you can buy it, and you'll also be able to see the other projects there. I am planning to release the rules for uh, We Are Not Alone there uh, fairly soon. Um, yeah, and I'd also just like to give a shout-out, I guess, uh, to the uh, Brisbane uh, Mega Games crew. I want to mention, I guess, specifically um, Jack Piraboom, who was really instrumental in running um, the second game of Watch the Skies we ever ran. And uh, yeah, just um, thanks so much for uh, to you guys for having me. Well, it's been an absolute uh, pleasure to have you, and we uh, look forward to having you back. Brilliant. So yeah, that's the the end of uh, this episode of the My Game Assembly uh, interview uh, podcast. Uh, as always, on the website, it links to to all the games uh, that have been mentioned that are going on in the world. My Game resources. Uh, the most recent one to to go up was a big component guide, which, as someone who's looking to to run a game, I've uh, been using my using myself so uh, pop along to the website pop along to the facebook page uh if you're in australia or fancy going to australia for a game pop along to uh the website and you'll see links over to uh brisbane make games as well so uh, that's all from me harrison yeah that's all thank you very much brilliant and thank you very much jack thank you